It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 219, Daniel's Dream of the Four Beast. Nine years has passed since Cyrus became king of Persia and the Medes. In the meantime, the king of Babylon died and another king has assumed the throne through another Babylonian coup. His name is Nabonidus. After some time, his son, Belshazzar, becomes his co-regent. He effectively runs the throne. Belshazzar basically rules the Babylonian empire because his father will not be present for about 10 full years, spending his time elsewhere. Considering this, here is a bio of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, the last king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. The Nabonidus Chronicle describes him as a, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, but this may have been propaganda to justify the reign of his father, who was not of the royal line. He played a pivotal role in the coup d'etat that overthrew the previous king and brought Nabonidus to power in 556 BC. Although unlike his co-conspirators, he was not a member of the old Babylonian aristocracy. Nabonidus spent the years 553 to 543 BC in the oasis of Tima and the northern areas of the Arabian Peninsula, leaving Belshazzar to govern Babylon. During his father's prolonged absence, Belshazzar ruled as co-regent or, or regent, but he was never called king and never took part of the Babylonian New Year festival, at which the king's presence was essential. His duties as crown prince, the title that appears in documents, included overseeing a temple estates and leasing out temple land, and he worked at restoring the Babylonian god Marduk, demoted by Nabonidus, in favor of the moon god, Sin. Daniel probably had to figure out his role as the monarchy changed, and there was probably a lot of internal instability, yet in the end, Daniel continued to be an administrative driving force in the empire. The alliance with the Medes appeared to have fizzled out, not out of bad relations, but their alliance to destroy the Assyrians was the purpose of it. And with Cyrus the king in charge, they did remain friends, and they were cordial trading partners, but the alliances seemed to have passed with the change of leaders. Call the alliance expired. And this is the geopolitical situation. And as the new king comes to power, Daniel wonders about the world around him, potentially in answers to some of his fears, concerns, or just honest prayers. Daniel has an encounter in the first year of Belshazzar. And before we cover this experience, note, it's going to mirror Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue. While it was marvelous and glorious and vain like a self-image or statue to the king of the world, from the perspective of Daniel, this vision is vain and cruel and monstrous. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream of four kingdoms and ten toes, Daniel has a vision of four beasts, and the last beast has ten horns. The interpretation is going to mirror world empires and the end of the age at the same time. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. 
Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. This describes the Babylonians quite easily. Daniel 7, 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. This is Media Persia. Daniel 7, 6. And after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. The leopard and goat represent Greece. And we'll see this happen over and over. The four horns are the breaking of Alexander the Great's empire. Now we get to the fourth beast, and just like the statue dream in Nebuchadnezzar, we can have issues understanding how it speaks of the Roman Empire, yet at the same time, the Antichrist at the end of the age. Iron always represents Rome, and Rome had its iron and clay thing going on because it was formed as a republic, not as an empire, but later became an empire. And it owned democratic states, though it was a, an empire at the end. It gets a bit confusing, uh, but Rome controlled its empire with an iron fist. Yet here is what Daniel got on the fourth beast. Daniel 7, 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While, it was, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So from the perspective of the fourth beast of the end of the age, we have the boastfulness of the horn and how it blasphemed God, and we'll have an antichrist at the end of the age, which will do just this. And now the vision goes on to God's judgment and the great white throne judgment and the river and lake of fire we covered near the time of the Josephat episode. Daniel 7, 9. And as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head was, like, was, wool, was white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. The river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts were seated, and the books were opened. And then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown in the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And in my vision at night I looked and there before me was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Very clearly, this is the end of the age. And I just find it interesting how the three beasts will mirror the three big empires of this era, and the fourth, the Romans, yet it edges into the actual end times era. And now with Daniel, watch the language coming up. He was troubled in spirit and could hardly eat, 
and he had this assorted commentary all through his book. It just seems like these visions had an experiment, experiential factor that overwhelmed Daniel. Daniel 7.15, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and was most terrifying with his iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also want to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeated them, until the Ancient of Days came and did pronounce judgment in favor of the holy people the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom, and after then... Another king will arise, different from the other ones. He will subdue three kings, and he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. So a bit more on eschatology here. The ten kings or kingdoms that the, the fourth beast will run. This mirrors the ten toes of the statue. Nebuchadnezzar had the part iron and part clay toes representing some democratic-type states and some autocratic states, potentially, that are still ruling, um, which are ruled by the Antichrist at the end. The other horn is the Antichrist himself, and he will subdue three of these kings specifically, but potentially rule all of them at the same time. Now, this fits into the time period before or after the rapture and it could slide right into the four horsemen of the apocalypse time period within the seal judgments as another parallel fulfillment. The holy people will be delivered unto his hand for years, and, and, but the sealed ones cannot be taken from God. And this holy land is speaking that the Antichrist will actually run or uh, conquer or have control over Israel at the end of the age, but only for a short while. And Daniel's having this pre-apocalyptic vision. Now the end of the matter, Daniel 7, 26. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people, the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So our conclusion to this episode is a classic omnipotent message. God is above everything. He's all-powerful. I love Romans 8. The chapter is some of the best nuggets of Scripture in the whole Bible. And it ends with this unbelievable verse. And I'll add some uh, build-up just to get to the end here. Romans 8.31, What then shall we say in response to these sayings? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against the, those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Death nor life, nor power, nor principalities, nor dark rulers of this world. God's love is above it all. God is above it all. The darkest and most powerful of world leaders will be replaced and overthrown by God himself. God is truly omnipotent, all-powerful, all-awesome, glorious, and magnificent. We should never second-guess who has the true power in the universe. Despite whatever hardships we see with our highs or even through world history. So I have a very like practical business reference. Um, I'm going to apply it to this dustbin of history of world empires. And it's almost kind of embarrassing to kind of dumb it down to the human level after reading that scripture. But um, this is my personal experience. Um, I, I remember talking to this older gentleman who worked in finance at a large retailer. And he said executives seem to come and go and have their own perspective and drive. Some are good, some are not. Some make my life, I'm quoting this guy. Some make my life miserable. Some help our people like me. Some make my life miserable, he'd say again. And I put up with it because who's the one still standing? Who's the one who's been here for 20 years? It's an interesting business perspective. And this guy is speaking to like these, these dreamers who come into companies and want to change things, but they don't, they don't understand the nuts and bolts of the business and how it impacts everyone who's running the show. And it's interesting business perspective because sometimes they come in with their grand vision and they make his life miserable because he has to go through all these extra hoops. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And it's interesting business perspective. But, but what about God's perspective? I mean, this older gentleman outlived the ambitions of those around him and was the linchpin of the business making everything work over the years, regardless of new efficient changes, strategy implications, great ideas and such. He outlived them, and he continued to do his role perfectly. Nebuchadnezzar is prideful of his great achievement before he was even 40 years old. Alexander the Great is going to be so prideful, he names nearly every city he founds on the way of, of his path of conquering Asia after himself. Before he's 30 years old, he actually conquers the world as he knows it. God just laughs at these men who think they have it all. He created the entirety of the world, and his age is beyond understanding. A day is a thousand years to him. Who are the Babylonians, Persians, and Greeks? 
you Romans, you Antichrist, you frighten men, but you only prepare him for the end of the age and the culmination of world history. The devil's final hand has nothing. There is no ace in the hole. There are no jokers. God speaks the end from the beginning, and he even can tell what will happen and who the characters are when the end of the age comes. And the world is disheveled in the pursuit of itself, and God delivers upon his age-old promises and satisfies built-up judgment with ultimate justice at the end of the end. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.